Well, I'm excited, uh, excited to be back into the swing of things, back with you guys. I missed you so much. I want to let you in on, um, I want to let you in on the pastoral life. Just for, I'm going to give you like a little perspective of what it's like to be me. If you haven't met me, if I don't, if I don't know you, if I haven't met you, my name is Austin. I have the privilege of leading this group and, uh, I'm a pastor here at 12 Stone. So let me let you in on a little perspective of what it's like to be a pastor. Does that sound fun? Um, Pastors take into consideration, preachers take into consideration, like what time of the year it is and how that affects like what we should talk about from stage. So just so you know, next month is February. What is February all about? all about love, so you can go ahead and guess what the topic of conversation is going to be about next month. That'll be the month you don't want to come. Just skip out on that one. (laughs) Totally kidding. It's going to be a great one. And uh, this month, January is a fun month, too. Preachers love January because January is the time when every single one of you is already thinking about, you know, how you want to be better this year and how you're going to do better in your discipline. And even in spiritual things, you're going to read more of the Bible. You're going to pray more. You're already thinking about all those things. And so for a preacher, that's a dream come true because I can stand up here and just partner with you in that and talk to you about how uh, 2019 you're going to be a better version of you and you're going to take this year on and you and God are going to be partners together. Right. And it's just going to that's a man. I preach that all day. That's real easy. And so as I've been preparing for uh, January and as we launch into 2019 and just seeking the Lord and asking him, what, what should we talk about? What should be our topic of conversation for this month? I felt like I just got a sense that he was leading me toward a topic that, to be honest with you, now I'm just going to burst the bubble. To be honest with you, I don't know that it's like a real good New Year's resolution, inspirational kind of message or series or a bunch of different talks. I don't think it's that, to be honest with you. I don't know that it's going to help you become a better version of you directly, but I do believe that indirectly, if we will grasp together this topic, and if we'll lean into it together, I actually believe that it will completely transform our lives. And the reason why I want to have this conversation at the beginning of the year, because I believe it sets for us a foundation that we can build the rest of the year upon. So I actually believe it's perfect timing. And so I just want to have a conversation for the next few weeks around the topic of truth, about what is truth, and as we talk about truth, we're forced to talk about what else? Lies. We have to talk about truth and lies, and we have to have the conversation about how do you know the difference between them? How do you decipher in your life what is a truth and a lie? Why is it that I and maybe you tend to actually gravitate toward lies in my life? Why is that the case? And so I just want to kind of open it up for the next few weeks. And to be honest with you, I don't know exactly where we're going to go. I think I have an idea for next Thursday and maybe the Thursday after that. But I don't know all the details. But I just feel like this is the right time and the right topic for this season. Are you all good with that? If you said no, I really don't know what I would do. So let's just go with yes, you're good with it, okay? I'm sure you know this, but uh, you and I, we are living in an interesting time. We are living in a postmodern, progressive, anti-authoritarianism, a hyper-individualism. 
individualistic society. And each of these terms all lead us, at least in Western civilization, to a moment in time where we are redefining truth. And even kind of further than redefining truth, we're coming to the conclusion, the popular belief that there really is no truth or there really is not any absolute truth. We hear things, little catchphrases or, or sayings that you, you may have heard, things like, you do you, right? Or things like, hey, whatever makes you happy, you have the right to pursue that. And most recently, the one that I've heard, and I'm sure you've heard it too, is live your truth. You heard that one? Live your truth. In other words, each of these are saying, you do what you think is right. You do what you think is right. And although they seem harmless and they seem like cute little catchphrases, these sayings and this approach, they're actually completely deconstructing the very meaning of truth. In fact, the very the saying, live your truth, actually takes away the meaning of truth. And so whether you subscribe to that belief of truth or not, I think it's worth having the conversation in church about what is truth. Because I just think the church ought to be having conversations that are important. The church ought to be having conversations that you're having out, outside the church as well. That's my belief. You don't have to subscribe to it, but that's what I believe. And it seems like in uh, recent years especially, we're becoming more aware that there is evil in society. Did you know that? I know that evil in society is not something new. It's been around for ever, think, ever since humans existed, really. But it seems to me, just in my lifetime, in the past, I would say, five years especially, it just seems like we're becoming more and more aware of the evil that exists. I think maybe that's a part of just mass media and social media, but it just seems like we're becoming more and more aware that there is evil all around us. All kinds of evil. I know you have maybe your examples, maybe some things that have hit close to home, but just to name a few, we have people that will walk into schools or to concerts with weapons and the intent to actually end the lives of others. That's pure evil. You agree? Do you agree? There are men of power who abuse their power and take advantage of women with the intent of just bringing to themselves some temporary sexual satisfaction. That's pure evil. There are granddads who manipulate and abuse granddaughters before they're even at an age to understand what is happening. That's pure evil. And I think we could all get on the same page and recognize that each one of those is pure evil. And yet, for you and I to come to the conclusion that these actions are evil, we must first also come to a belief that there is a right and there is a wrong. Do you understand that? We have to, because to label something as evil is a, is a value statement in itself. We have to come to the belief that there is a right and there is a wrong. There is a good and there is an evil. And there is truth and there are lies. There is truth about what is the right way to live. There is truth about the respect and dignity that each person deserves. And yet, as we have already discussed, we are living in a moment of time where 
we are telling each other that you get to decide for yourself what truth is. So I don't know if you already feel the tension in this, but we sit right in the middle of knowing that evil exists in our world, and yet right in the middle of a culture and a society that tells us that you get to decide what evil is. So how, how are we right in the middle of that world? And how is that the culture that we live in in this moment? I want to open the scriptures to um, a passage in John chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 8. I think there should be one in front of you or underneath your chair. Or we're going to put the scripture on the screen if you want to follow along. But I'd encourage you to write this down and at least study it for yourself. But in John chapter 8, I want to study what is perhaps uh, Jesus' most in-depth teaching on a particular individual. And that individual, as we know it, is called the devil. Welcome to church. You ready to go? (laughs) I want to read and study some of this tonight. And let's launch into 2019. We're going to look at uh, verse 31. If you're ready to read, somebody say, let's do it. All right, verse 31, it says this. It says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and let's say it together, and the truth will set you free. Verse 33, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. Just stop right there. It's kind of ironic because if you read the Old Testament, you would actually say, "Um, that's actually not true. You've been slaves for like your entire life. But they say, we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Verse 34, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. That's good news. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. And I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. And they respond to him, and they say, Abraham is our father. And Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. And as it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. And they responded, and they said, we are not illegitimate children, they protested. Which, by the way, if you you look at the original Greek language, that saying is is really a dig at Jesus. The the original language there is is more liking to the phrase, we are not bastards like you. And they were digging at Jesus being born out of wedlock. They said, we are not illegitimate children. They protested, the only father we have is God himself. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. So why is my language not clear to you? 
because you are unable to hear what I say. And this is where it gets a little spicy. (laughs) He says, you belong to your father, the devil. Not what you want to hear from Jesus. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He, speaking of the devil, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Some pretty harsh words from Jesus in which he ties their fatherhood or where they came from. And he says, your father's not Abraham. You are from the devil. Pretty intense words. I want to just point out as we begin kind of this discussion for the next three weeks, I want to, or four weeks, I want to point out uh, some facts about the devil. And straight out of this scripture, what does Jesus say? So maybe a few things that you want to write down. Number one is this. For Jesus, the devil is real. Just right off the bat, you need to get that. For Jesus, the devil is real. This term, the devil, comes from a Greek word, diabolos. And literally, the definition of it is the slanderer or the accuser. It's where we get the word diabolical from. The slanderer or the accuser. And it's one of many names for a creature that we read about really all throughout the library of Scripture. There are some other names given to him, some that include the evil one. He's called the tempter. He's called the Satan. I don't know if you know this, but he actually doesn't have, it's not a, he doesn't have a name like Austin or Matt. You know, he doesn't have that kind of name. He only has titles given to him. Many scholars believe that this is a slight dig at him to almost say he's not worthy of a name. And so the Satan, he's not Satan as in Matt or Austin or whatever. It's the Satan. The destroyer is another name given to him. The deceiver is another name given to him. Jesus actually three times in scripture refers to the devil as the ruler of this world. So for Jesus... This creature is the most powerful, influential creature in the cosmos. He's not a myth. He's not a figment of our imagination. He's not a red cartoon figure with horns on his head and a pitchfork on your shoulder. He's a very, very real person, and he is the evil behind so much of the evil, both in our society and in our world. And in this story particular, he is the evil, check this out, behind the religious leaders of the day. The evil behind the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus ties this story in John chapter 8, he ties it to a prophecy in Genesis chapter 3. If you know kind of the beginning of creation, that story, he ties it to a prophecy in Genesis chapter 3 about the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, and the serpent being the devil. And he claims that the religious leaders are the seed of the serpent. Okay, Jesus. In other cases, Jesus says some similar things to the Roman Empire. He says, yes, there is evil 
in this world, there's a human individual evil, there's a socio-political evil, there's an institutional evil. But behind all of this, there is a whole other evil at play. I believe it's what the writers of the New Testament would want us to understand, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the evil principalities of this day. So number two, not only is the devil real. Are you tracking with me still? Number two, for Jesus, the devil's end goal is to murder, is to completely wipe out life, to destroy all all that is good in this earth, and to wipe out life. In fact, he says a few chapters later in the book of John that the devil comes only to steal, kill, and destroy you and I. Now, I need you to get that in your head. He doesn't come just to kind of harm you a little bit. He doesn't come just to kind of knock you off path a little bit. He comes only to steal, kill, and destroy your life. The devil is at war with God himself and God's vision for what is beautiful and true in life. He is at war. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says that there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. And here's what this means. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have joined into a war with heaven's invasion of earth. And in conflict, you are in war with a very real devil. That's what it means. And he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy you. His end goal is to murder. And number three, for Jesus... The devil's primary strategy is lies. So if his end goal is to wipe out life, his primary strategy for accomplishing that and for getting that done is lies, deception. He is the father of lies. The origin point of deception is him. Now, this has massive implications that I want to get into tonight. And for the next few weeks, the scripture we just read said that when he lies, he speaks his native language. Now, that is not generally how I think of the war that I am in with the devil and probably not what you think of either. We have a term, um, kind of the vernacular we use in Christendom and especially in more charismatic cultures. There's a term you may have heard before that that defines kind of this war that we're in, and it's the term spiritual warfare. And we usually think of spiritual warfare, and by the way, that term is not used by Jesus, it's just hinted at, and so that's a term we've given at, we've given it. But usually we think of this war that we're in, this spiritual warfare, really on two different extremes. There is this one extreme that kind of uh, makes it a little bit like ultra-sensitive and super spiritual, like we, we over-spiritualize things, you know, and it's kind of Christian paranoia, like I was on my way to church, and I got a flat tire, the devil is out to get me, it's like, yeah, maybe you just got a flat tire, right, or I was, you know, I was on my way to get this degree, and I ended up failing this class, the devil is out to get me, and to throw me off of my purpose, it's like, 
maybe you just didn't study very hard, right? Or, or maybe that's just ultimately like not where you need to go. I don't know that we need to give credit to the devil for every little thing that happens. But then you have this other extreme that sometimes we go to where we almost limit the devil by saying he's only in things like we read exorcisms in the scripture or maybe he's, he's in natural disasters or we think of it as the devil's work is like some demon showing up to a girl at night or something like that. And so we limit it to these really wild, crazy things. And so we're on these two extremes. I think that's usually how we view this war that we're in with the devil. Now, I believe that every single one of these things, that there is some truth to it and that these things do exist. But I find it very interesting that in Jesus' most in-depth teaching on the devil, there is not one mention of any of that. There's not one mention of an exorcism or a demon possession or anything like that. Instead, it's an intellectual debate with the thought leaders of the day over truth and lies. And so here's my primary point for the night. If you're going to write down anything, I want you to take this and write it down. The primary fight against the devil is to believe truth over lies. Not that there isn't other things. Not that some of those things don't exist, but the primary fight is to believe truth over lies. Now, for some of you, your college students, for some of you, you're studying philosophy and you're deep into these deep thoughts that you lose all of us on when you start talking about what you're learning. And so uh, give me a little bit of grace as I go into this next point, but uh, the only stuff that I know about philosophy really is just kind of self-read and, and things that I've learned, and so give me some grace. But I want to just enter into that conversation for a little bit that I, I think it will help us. And so uh, track with me just for a moment. We first have to ask the question, what is truth? Right? Maybe some of you are already thinking that in this conversation. What is truth? It's the question that Pilate asked millennia ago. What is truth? The best definition of truth really is this. The best definition is reality. Truth is reality or that which corresponds to reality. The best definition of reality is what you run into when you are wrong. <laughs> Let me give you an example. If, if I say that I believe I can do a backflip right here on this stage, that's what I believe I can do. And then I go to do it. What I run into in about 0.3 seconds is me landing on my neck and the reality that I've never done a backflip off the ground before and I can't do it today. Right? I'll give you another example. If I say, I believe that I can fly. Reality is what I run into in a couple of seconds when I am splattered all over the ground. Right? It is reality. And so when we say that something is a lie, when we say that is a lie, what we are saying and what we mean is that that statement or that claim does not correspond to reality. It doesn't correspond to reality. So truth is reality. And untruth or, or lies are unreality. 
Truth is reality and lies are unreality. You still tracking with me? Let me take it a little bit deeper. We all live by something that psychologists call mental maps. I've been studying this lately. It's it's fascinating to me. They call it mental maps. Literally, it's saying that we all have mental maps such as uh, our route to work or if I were to ask you, you know, how do you get home from here tonight? In your mind's eye, you can play in your head the map that you will take to get home. Now, you may not know, you know, I turn left. You may not know road names, but you know, okay, out of here, I'm going to turn right. And you can kind of play through it in your mind, right? We all live by these mental maps. And if it is true, your mental map for how you get home, if it is true, if it corresponds to reality, then you will arrive where you want it to go. If it's a lie... If it does not correspond to reality, then you end up lost somewhere you did not want to go, right? In the same way, you and I have mental maps for all of life. You have a mental map for sexuality, a mental map for money, for power, for love and romance and marriage and parenting, for what life is all about. For what is the purpose of life? You have a mental map already made in your mind. And mental maps are no more than a collection of ideas. Ideas that you have learned from either your upbringing, from school, from the community that you were raised in or that you live in. But these ideas are assumptions about reality or how life really works assumption about how life and money go together, how life and sexuality work together. They are assumptions, they are ideas about how life really works. And every day we all navigate different ideas, a world of different ideas. Happiness is an idea. Democracy is an idea. Human rights is an idea. Theology is a collection of ideas about God. And our ideas come together to form our mental maps about how we will navigate life. You tracking with me? Each of you have them. So the question is, are your ideas based on truth or are they based on lies? Because we are left with the decision to allow our mental maps about all of these different areas of life to be formed by either truth, the teachings of Jesus, or to be formed by lies and the father of lies. And so the question that you and I are left with is, are your mental maps, have they been formed by truth or have they been formed by lies? And every day you hear a new idea or a different approach to money, to sex, to identity, to the meaning of life, to God. And there is the chance that you will believe something as truth when it actually was not truth. It was a lie. And if you begin to believe it, it begins to settle into your mental maps and it forms who you become, and eventually how you behave. 
And this is the danger. I want you to write this down. I'm going to put it on the screen. The danger is this. The ideas that we believe in our mind give shape to who we become and then determine how we behave. The ideas that we believe in our mind give shape to who we become and then determine how we behave. And this is the process. It's the human condition. You believe, you become, and then you behave. And when we believe truth, listen, we show up to reality well. Or in other words, I'll say it this way. When we believe truth, we live in a way that is aligned or congruent with our creator's intentions for his creation. We live in a way that is aligned with our creator's intentions for his creation. And as a result, the good news, as a result, we get the abundant life that he promises us. In the very same verse where he says the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life, he says, but I have come so that you may have life and have it abundantly to the full. And that only comes when we believe truth. And so the opposite is true. When we believe lies, when we believe lies that are not aligned with his design that are not congruent with how he has created us. And we allow these lies to shape who we become and how we behave. Listen to me. We open up our entire person, our whole person, or as the writers of the New Testament will call our souls. We open up our souls to poison. And lies eventually lead us to death. And truth leads us to life. And so you and I are left with investigating. Am I believing truth or am I believing lies? The most extreme example of living a lie you'll find, I believe, in a mental illness called paranoia schizophrenia. Literally in this disease, their mind is set in unreality. And it has completely brought their soul to a ruin because they see things and they vision things that are not even in reality. But there are less extreme but just as toxic ways that we see this every single day. Many people are following lies. They're following false mental maps. They believe that money or success brings happiness. And yet you and I know tons of people who have achieved far greater things than we could ever dream of, who have achieved lots of, from the world's view, riches and fame and success and what we would see as accomplishments and achievements, and yet they get to the end of their life, they're on their deathbed, and they say, I've accomplished nothing, I feel empty. Or even worse, they don't even make it to their deathbed because they take their own life because their minds have been poisoned with a lie and they found out that it did not match up. It was not congruent with reality. That what they thought was true was not true. And they got met with reality that money or whatever, all those other things that I just mentioned, will not lead you to happiness. And they're met with that. Many people are establishing a view of sexuality that is based on a lie. 
And there is the danger of all of us morphing our view of sexuality into a lie, not to truth. And as a result, we get poison. If it is true, if it is true that we're all just animals, that gender and sexuality and marriage is just a social construct from patriarchy in order to oppress us and to limit our freedom, if sex is only biological, if morality is just a social construct, then you end up with people who behave in such a way that is dehumanizing. And it treats people like so, like animals. And that is the kind of world that we end up in. And then we wonder why life seems like it is void of purpose and yet filled with so much pain. And you can trace it back to we believed a lie and then it shaped who we became and then it shaped how we behave. The devil's go-to strategy is lies. And so the nature of this strategy, I think we're going to put this on the screen because I'm just trying to give you as much information as possible because we're going to talk about this for the next few weeks. The nature of his strategy, how his lies work, is they are deceitful ideas, deceitful ideas that play to our disordered desires for happiness. And they are normalized in a sinful society. Lies are deceitful ideas that play to our disordered desires for happiness and that are normalized in a sinful society. So check this out. It's not just deceitful ideas that have, it's not just deceitful ideas that have no emotional value that the devil tries to give to us, right? He's not just whispering in your ear things that you don't care about. He's not just like, Tupac is still alive. Well, actually, I do care about that, but it carries no emotional toll on me. It's not just lies that we, it's, it's deceitful ideas that are already disordered desires in us. Disordered desires, the primal desires within you that lead you away from what is good and toward what is evil, or as the writers of the New Testament are called, the flesh. It's your disordered desires, and he plays into those. It's our disordered desires for happiness, right? None of us sin out of duty. We sin because we believe it will lead us to happiness, right? You're not just sitting at night going, well, it's 9 o'clock. I guess I better start lusting, right? It's not like it's on your calendar and it's just something that you got to do. It's not out of duty that you sin. It's because we are buying into a lie that it will bring us happiness or that it will fulfill us in some sort of way and we confuse happiness with temporary pleasure. And then not only that, but those lies are enforced and normalized in a sinful society. So check this out. His aim is not just to get you and to tempt you with lies. His aim is to inject them into the society that we live in because if he can get the world around you to normalize it and to make you think that it's okay and now everyone is doing it and everyone thinks this way and this is how we approach money this is how we approach sexuality and relationships and this is how we approach everything 
If it's normalized in society, then it will become normalized in you. And it's much easier for you to buy into a lie that is normalized in society than one that is not. So he injects these systems of deceptive ideas all into culture, into entertainment, into education, into government, into technology, into the church. Look at the scripture we read in the beginning. It's the religious leaders of the day. He injects them into the society that we live in. And you and I are at war. I guess I'm just hoping tonight that maybe you will wake up, that we will wake up to what is happening. Jared, you can come up. I'm going to close. i give you kind of a low-hanging fruit, easy example. And For those of you that are history majors, you know a lot more. But take Nazi Germany, for example. See, we forget that prior to the two world wars, um, Germany was actually like a leader of Western civilization, a leader in many different aspects, a leader in art and architecture, a leader in music. If you study, many of the famous composers were German. Think about Bach and Beethoven. A lot of these people were German. Germany was a leader in theology. The birthplace of the Reformation began in Germany. Martin Luther hung his 95 thesis. That was, he was German. They were the leader in many different aspects of society, in science, in sociopolitical theory, in technology, and, and in urban planning, many different areas. But check this out. Within a few decades, within only a few decades, the entire society was destroyed from the inside out by what? By ideas. Ideas. Deceptive ideas about race, ethnicity, classism, nationhood. Deceptive ideas that played to their disordered desires. Their desires already about power and control and money, and honor, and pride. Already their disordered desires and the deceptive ideas played into them and therefore they got normalized in a sinful society. And what do you have after that? Destruction of an entire society in only a few decades. And the crazy thing is, check this out, the crazy thing about Nazi Germany or about even like an ISIS The crazy thing is, is they're not doing this because they believe it is immoral. They actually believe that it is moral. That it is right. And this is the danger. This is the danger. The primal temptation for you and me is to define for ourselves what is good and evil based on the voice in the back of our head and our disordered desires for happiness rather than, listen, rather than on God and his vision for good and evil and what it means to be human. This is the temptation for you and I to define define what truth is based on ourselves and not based on God. This is the root that all sin, all sin before is ever anything else 
is about answering the question, what do you believe is true? What do you believe is true? And what do you believe is the path to the good life or to the full life? Lies or deceitful ideas that play to our disordered desires for happiness that are normalized in a sinful society. That is the devil's primary method of enslaving human beings and entire societies in the vicious cycle of death. That's how he, do, how he does it. I want to read to you one last scripture. You can see the shadow of my hair. It looks hilarious. This is why Jesus came as a teacher. Listen closely. He came as a teacher, as a truth teller. A truth teller calling for you and I to repent. Or another way of saying it, to rethink reality. And to believe in his vision, his vision of the kingdom of God. Or to trade in your mental map for his mental map. This is why he came as a teacher. I just want to read to you one last scripture in John chapter 18. Verse 36, Jesus is on trial. He's about to be crucified. And he says this. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders but now my kingdom is from another place you are a king then said Pilate and Jesus answered you say that I am a king in fact the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth to the what the truth and everyone on the side of truth listens to me and Pilate answers, what is truth? This is the age-old question, and yet it is the most important foundational truth. <laughs> Jesus came to establish truth. It is by lies that we are enslaved and by truth that we are set free. In the very first passage we read, I'll repeat the scripture again. Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the reference point for reality. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so here's what I would challenge you to do. Maybe at home sometime this week, maybe tonight as you go home, I would challenge you to think through a couple of things. What are the thoughts, the ideas that you have come to believe as truth and they're not true? This is incredibly difficult, obviously, because you wouldn't believe in something that you think is a lie. Or maybe, maybe you're wrapped up in a sin or something that you are claiming it as truth 
Or maybe you know it's not truth and yet it has a hold on you. And it's a lie. And you're buying a lie. But the truth is totally different. What are the thoughts that you've come to believe is true that are not true? Thoughts about God? Thoughts about who you are and who God says that you are? Or thoughts about what is the good life or what is the life you've been called to live? What will ultimately bring you happiness? Are there any lies that you're believing? I have to do this to myself. I have to ask. Austin, are there any lies that you're believing? Where do you need to maybe ask the question, what is truth? What is truth? And so my prayer over the next few weeks as we have this conversation about truth is that we would build a foundation of life, that we would understand that this world that we live in, this conflict between truth and lies is not a joke. In fact, a life built on lies will end up destroying you. It'll destroy me. And so what is truth? What does Jesus say? And are we building our lives on that? And are we rejecting anything that opposes his truth? Let me pray for you. So, Father, you, you are aware of the complexity of this topic. You are aware of the evil society that we live in. You are aware of, Lord, even the things that don't necessarily seem evil, but they're just kind of seeping into our thoughts and ideas about how to live life. You're completely aware of them. They don't catch you off guard. And so... Lord, as those who would sit here and say, my desire is to follow you, Jesus. I want to I know you. I want to know your truth. And I want my life to be reflective of that. Lord, for each person that would say that in this room, Lord, I ask that, that you would reveal to us where there are lies that we are believing, lies that we're living by that are ultimately going to destroy us. Lord, for the young lady who's believing a lie about her, about herself, about her identity, Lord, would you bring truth to her? Father, for the young man who's believing a lie about his purpose in life and what will bring him ultimate happiness and locked up in a lie, locked up in a habit locked up in a belief of something is going to satisfy him and it's ultimately not. God, I ask that you would bring truth, deliver it in such a way, Lord, that he cannot ignore it. And oh God, these truths taking deep root in our lives, Lord, can only happen by the power of your spirit. And so, God, I ask that you would unleash that in our lives tonight. Lord, that you would unleash a courage, a strength, a surrender that we have never had before to build our lives on truth and not on lies.
And Lord, as people look in from the outside and they look into your church, they look into this ministry specifically, God, would they see people whose lives are built on the truth of your word and the truth of what you have called us to be and how you've called us to live. Lord, we trust you in all things and we ask you for this. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.